you, Lord. You can be seated. What a privilege it is to be in this place today and to be able to share my heart with you. I give honor to Souls Harbor and those who have, uh, with great passion and clarity, put together this conference. I know my audience today, and I know my assignment, and uh, I just want to speak from my heart, if I may. I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 12. I'm going to read one passage of scripture from here, and then we'll begin. The Bible says in John 1 and 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become. Amen. If your custom is to stand, let's do that. I'm sorry. John 1 and 12, But as many as received him, to them, those that received him, to them, gave he power to become. Would you say that phrase with me? Power to become. Power to become. Power to become, you have to fill in your own blank. Because God has called each and every one of us uniquely to work within the kingdom. Your job is not to be like me and my job is not to be like you. But God said, I will, if you will receive me, then I will give you the power to become what I called you to be. And that's why you're here. Amen. And I want to speak to you today from that thought, power to become. Amen. And you can be seated. Thank you for the wonderful spirit of prayer that seasoned this, this meeting today. I've come this morning to speak to you from my heart. And I said a moment ago, I know my audience today, and I feel compelled to be transparent with you. But I realize that the risk of being transparent requires a certain measure of vulnerability. But I feel like I've heard from the Lord for someone or someones in this building today. So I invite you to just take a journey with me. Would you do that? We're just going to walk together and let's allow the Lord to speak to us. I want to talk about ministry and the journey of ministry. Ministry, by and large, is very transitional by nature. I'm not suggesting that God is consistently calling you from one continent to another or even from one state or a city to another. But I do believe that God in the life and the heart of every minister and every ministry family God has an overarching aspect of transition that he is consistently calling us from one dimension to another. God would never just leave us at our embryonic state, but ministry is a growth process. And so we will grow to a certain level and we may even operate at that level for a season. And then God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy realizes that there is more potential within you and I. And so he places us in certain seasons, constantly moving. And so there are many aspects of ministry that I could talk about today or that could be discussed, but I feel directed to specifically speak about these seasons, these moments of transition in ministry. Those seasons where God is taking us from one dimension to another, from one plane to another. Any minister that will be transparent with you can speak about seasons in their lives where they walked with God and they walked in their calling with great confidence. 
They understood. And they felt sure their steps were circumspect. They understood that God had called them to do this in this season and they walk with great confidence. But if you continue to talk to that minister that would be transparent with you, they could also speak of seasons where their confidence wasn't so high. The assurance wasn't there like it had been in times past. They could speak to you about seasons where they could not even feel the presence of the Lord. And it's those seasons of silence that I want to talk to you about today. It's those seasons. We can all live for God at camp meeting. I mean, we, you know, if we could just can and somehow preserve the atmosphere of touch the future, why, who couldn't live for the Lord in an atmosphere like we felt last night or who couldn't exist in an atmosphere that we felt this morning in our opening prayer? But the truth of the matter is is that we don't camp out at touch the future. And we don't live always at General Conference or Camp Meeting or North American Youth Congress. There are times that God is going to take us through certain seasons and seasons of silence. And it's those seasons of silence that God is not, he's not playing coy with us. God is not messing with our emotions or our feelings. But, but God said, I, I, I see something in you. I see something greater in you. And then he said, I have given you the power to become. And so I need to take you through a season of silence because I have you at another level of becoming. It's not hard to trust God when you can feel him at the mere mention of his name. And we've all had those moments. We were riding down the road in our vehicle and we just started praying and we just started speaking in tongues and it was just, man, it was just on fire. And there have been times that we've been in the middle of a crowd that we're all weeping and praying, but there was a loneliness that just stalked us. There was a loneliness that horrified us. And, and uh, so how do we respond in those moments? We know in charged moments where to say amen, how to say hallelujah, exactly where to clap. I mean, we're well-schooled. We're well-schooled in all of our praise and worship tactics, but it's those moments of silence when we are walking through a season like Job where we can't seem to find him. I, I know he's there because his words said, I'll never leave you or fors nor forsake you. I feel the Holy Ghost slipping in here today. Hallelujah. We have an assurance that God has not abandoned us because his word is true. But underneath all of that layer of truth is a reality that I prayed and I can't feel him. I search and I can't find him. I reach and it doesn't seem that he is there. That ministry, that moment rather, that season of separation. Seasons when God says I need to separate you from the crowd for a higher purpose. When God called Abraham, he called him away from his father's house and away from his homeland. He called him because God wanted to use him mightily. But, I, but he said, first, I got to remove you from some things. I've got to separate you from, from some things. And so he took him to a place, Iran, where he would ultimately bury his father. It was there that he would bury his flesh. It was there that he would bury the voice that said, 
we can't press home. It was there he buried the voice that said, this is good enough. I'm gonna tell you that we all reach that place in our life where we have got to bury that voice that said, this is sufficient. Status quo will do. Mediocrity is okay. And we have got to lend ourselves to the voice of God that is saying, I want to call you to a higher place. I'm not just trying to call you to another position or title, but I'm trying to let you become what I have spoken into your spirit. I'm trying to let you become what I allowed you to dream about and long for. I'm allowing you to become, but it will be a process. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you ever or I ever do anything of consequence for God, we will have to bury our flesh so the spirit man can thrive. Abraham would later go to an exceeding high mountain, but everybody that walked with him to the mountain could not join him on the mountain. Amen, let me say it again. Everybody that walked with him to the mountain could not and was not invited to go with him on the mountain because ministry is pulling away and separating. I gotta put you in a place. I need something to be born in your spirit. I need something to be born in your heart. I need something to be born in you that will refuse to die with time and circumstance. And so he said to those that were with him, you stay here. I'm gonna go yonder, but I'm coming back. But he didn't understand the magnitude that when I come back, I'm gonna be changed. I'm gonna be forever changed because on the mountain, God is gonna let me become what he is calling me to do. Yes, yes, yes. In like fashion, not everyone will make the trip to your destiny. And there are those, I want to be frank with you today, there are some that started out in my life on this journey, but they're not here today because God never intended for them to be here. 1 Kings 19 tells the story of Elisha's calling it to involve the separation from flesh. Elisha said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father, my mother, and then I will follow thee. In verse 21, he returned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh and the instruments of oxen. When he had killed the oxen and burned the plow that he had formerly been working with, he was making a bold proclamation, not to just those that were watching from the vantage point of earth, but Elisha was making a bold proclamation to those that were watching from the portals of heaven. Amen, my mind is made up. My mind is made up and my heart is fixed. I'm gonna do away, I'm gonna separate, I'm gonna put in the past everything that has anything to do with my past. Hallelujah, I'm gonna bury it, I'm gonna burn it. That's who I was, but it's not who I am. That's where I used to be, but it's not where I am today. That's how I used to walk, that's the path that I was formerly on, but God has changed the trajectory of my life. Yes, he has. You see, true ministry takes time. Plain and simple. True ministry takes time. You know, we can get the title of preacher with this a simple declaration. However, to become effective in your calling, whatever that may be, 
That is an altogether different story. It's the process of becoming that I really want to press into your spirit today. We sometimes get a word from God and we expect that word is going to come to fruition in just a short time period. Amen. We come to a meeting like this and the spirit of God speaks something legitimately into our heart. And I'm telling you, we go home. We're expecting that by Sunday night, it's going to be there and God's fixing to use us. Amen. God may be dealing with somebody to evangelize at a meeting like this and, and you just, you know, think, well, what we better do is stop by and shop for RVs on the way home because Monday. <laughs> Monday, we're going to launch. That's going to be it. But it takes time. It takes time. And we get that word and then we start looking and if we're not careful, it's that interim right there. It's that interval in our lives. It's that space. Amen. Most of the time, that's not what happens. God has given me a lot of words, a lot of words, but very few of them were waiting on the doorstep when I got up the next day. I feel compelled to encourage someone in this conference. I need you to stay the course. God just needs you to stay focused. <laughs> oh, in the Holy Ghost. Whatever God told you he was going to do, whatever God revealed to you he was going to do, I feel, I'm going to be frank with you today, I feel I'm ministering to some discouraged people. I feel like I'm ministering to some disillusioned people that said, I got a promise from the Lord, but it's still in the closet somewhere. It's still at vapor somewhere, but I feel in the Holy Ghost to tell you to stay the course, to just stay focused because you are in the process of becoming. God has not lost your address. God has not forgotten about the promise that was made, but God is just wanting you to become a little more. We, we, live, we live in an instant-minded society. Things like Amazon have etched its way into our spirit. If we decide today we want something halfway around the world with a click of the mouse, we can have it on our doorstep overnight or perhaps worst case scenario, two days. In some cases, in some cases with Amazon Prime now, you can order something and have it on your doorstep in two hours. And this ideology, hear me today, this ideology has discouraged more people in ministry than we can account for. God speaks something into our spirit. Amen. It may have been in a corporate meeting like this. It may have been in a private prayer session. God speaks something into our heart and we just assume that we're about to get an email or a text message to say it's on the way, it's being delivered and we're gonna be able to track this all the way to the front door. But hear me, God has the ability to give us a promise and then go completely silent and God doesn't feel compelled to text me. God doesn't feel compelled to move on the heart of a minister in the next meeting I go to to affirm that word I've just got to hold on to what God said I got to bury that in my heart and I got to realize that between here and the fruition of that promise God is going to take me on a journey of becoming what he has allowed me to hear him call me to do uh, yes <clears throat> on June the 11th, 1980, 
I received the title husband. But I didn't know how to be a husband. I thought I did. I was 18 after all. All those years of living, all that life experience, I had to be able to have what it would take to be a husband. But I didn't know how to be a husband. It was a process of trial and error. I fell down many times and I had to learn how to get back up. I'll be, I will be sincere with you. I wanted to be the priest of our home. I wanted to be a spiritual leader, but I didn't know. I, just because we stood in front of our pastor for a few moments and we said, I will and I do, it didn't allow me to become. It took a little living. It took some mistakes. It took some apologies. Amen. It said, I, I got to correct this. I got to get back on course. I had to learn how to get back up again. On April the 8th, 1985, my son, our son was born and I received the title father. But I, I, I wasn't a father. I didn't know how to be a father. They placed a baby in my arms in a moment of time. It, it didn't slip up on us. I'm not trying to talk about that. We knew those months of labor, of, of carrying the child and the labor and so this didn't happen in a moment of time but I got the title in a moment of time but I wasn't a father it was going to take trial and error it was going to have to take it was going to have to take backing up and trying this again hallelujah on January the 14th 1989 I was elected pastor in the church where I now serve but I didn't know how to be a pastor there wasn't a how to manual on the pulpit I didn't know what to do when families were breaking apart I didn't know what to do when people were standing and they were facing terminal illness. I didn't know what to do whenever there was rumblings in the church and problems and, and situations in families. But I had to keep going to the altar and saying, Lord, you call me here and I need you to help me become. You call me to pastor, but I'm not yet a pastor. But I believe, God, if I will give myself to you, if I will lend myself to you, you will help me become what you have called me to be. I would go through several things. I would walk through very high places and some very low places on my journey to become a husband, a father, and a pastor. But I had to allow the Lord to help me become what he had called me to be. Oh my. We talk about how the children of Israel marched into Canaan and took the land, and I say this with great deference to anyone here today. It was a land of promise. We talk about how God said, all you gotta do is just go take it, and that preaches really good in certain environments. We like to speak about houses they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant, orchards they have never tended, but there's an incredible an incredibly important part of this story that is too often overlooked. Exodus 23 and 30. By little and little will I drive them out from before thee until thou be increased. I'm God. I could go and blow them off the map. I'm God. I could wipe them out with one breath. 
but I am just going to let you get this little and by little because I am not worried about the enemy. I'm worried about you becoming. I've got to give you time to become. My God, I feel in my spirit the Lord is speaking to us today. It is by little and by little and don't get discouraged when God has given you a promise and he doesn't hand it to you all at one time but it may be by little and by little here a little there a little another translation of this verse says little and by little I will drive them out from before you until you become until you become increased until you become able to inherit the land I have got this I know what I'm doing I'm going to let the enemy die before you here and there I'm going to give you incremental victories I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a promise and I'll walk with you there but hear me don't get discouraged because you are becoming something in the process of all of this see here's the bottom line if God had given them everything at one time they would have failed furthermore if God had given us everything at one time we would have failed They were not enough in number to inhabit the land. It would have been overgrown, nothing more than a jungle. And so God knew something that they didn't know. And this was a promise, a legitimate promise. You're going to have to grow into this. You're going to need to grow into this land. You're going to need to grow into this place that I am legitimately calling you to. You're going to have to grow into this place. God knew that, that growth is going to take time and they had to grow into that. And so in their season of little and little, God was at work on their behalf. And so here we are, the promises of God. And that promise came, no doubt, with such assurance that our heart was, was charged. And I'm not talking about with ego or pride or being lifted up, but I believe I am preaching to people today, men and women that received a divine promise from God and your heart was charged, maybe overwhelmed and feeling insufficient, but your heart was charged with that promise. And then all of a sudden, it seems like heaven turned to brass and God wasn't discussing this with you every day in prayer, no matter how many times you ask him Amen. And so that's why I got to rely on that song and songs like this, like Waymaker. Amen. Can I share just a few, just a few lines? Amen. You know where I'm going. Amen. When, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, there have been times while I was in a service and they were singing that song, it wasn't just the beat of the music that was letting, allowing me to sway and move, amen, but it was a promise. I had to keep reminding myself, amen, I know what you told me. I know what you gave me. And so even when I don't see it, I know you're working. And even when I don't feel it, I know you're working because there's one thing I understand. You never stop. You never stop. You never stop working on Monday when I am feeling discouraged. You're still working on Tuesday when I 
I can't seem to make sense of any of it, you're still working. When others around me are reaching their destiny, but I am locked in my season of silence, you are still working. You're still working. You are still working. Hallelujah. Oh my God, my God. My Lord, I feel something powerful sweeping in here. I feel an assurance tonight, today. I feel an assurance of God's power and presence. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. You can be seated. It took Joshua and his army several years to conquer the land. But in due time, would you say in due time? But in due time, God graciously granted them a gradual conquest of the promise. It was a promise. But God in his mercy granted them a gradual conquest. A divine delay, we may call it. Not an accident. Judges 2, 21. I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. So I'm going to use the resistance that you're feeling. I'm going to use the silence that is deafening. I'm going to use the separation that you feel in your spirit to try you to see how much you can serve me when the rain is not falling. How much can you serve me and how loyal and faithful will you be to me when there are no tongues and there is no interpretation? How loyal and faithful will you be to me? Hallelujah, when you go to the pulpit time and time and time again and you don't see the results you were hoping for, you don't get the dream that you thought was going to happen. He said, therefore, the Lord Lord left those nations. I didn't drive them out hastily, he said. Neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. I left them because I wanted to see what you're made of. Because the more you resist and the more you fight and the more you pray, God said, I'm allowing you to become what I'm calling you to be. Praise God. Never resist the process of becoming. Because you see people that aren't truly grounded. Can I just? I've watched people go straight to the top and right out the top. Because they were operating their, in their natural giftings and not their callings. They can move a crowd in a church house or they can move a crowd in a bar room because it was just a natural gift to be able to connect with people. 
And so if we are not grounded, if we don't have our feet on the ground, then we can, we can, we can allow or, or we can experience rather some what we may deem a measure of success. But I'm going to tell you that if we are not connected, I, I say, Lord, no matter what, I want you to keep me connected to Acts 2.38. I want you to keep me connected to Deuteronomy 6 and 4 because these are the fundamental tenets of our faith. Amen. God, if you can use me and I can hold on to that, then use me. But and I'm going to tell you, if God uses you and you let go of that, amen, you'll be better off to be right where you are and make heaven your home. I say, Lord, help us to become, help us to become. And sadly, sadly, the landscape of the church is scattered with the remains of those that could have been. God, help us not to despise the seasons of becoming. We live in a world where we have grown to love and fallen in love with the illusion of instant. Many things that appear to be instant aren't really all that instant. Even some things that are advertised as instant aren't really instant. According to the instructions of the, the instructions on the back of a box of Idaho and real potatoes. Here's all you have to do. You heat water or milk, throw in margarine or butter, depending on which side of the line you're on there. You put that in a saucepan, you bring it to a boil, you remove it from the heat, you stir in these real premium potatoes. I'm, I'm not being cynical, I'm reading from their box. And you let stand for one minute, one minute, mix with a fork, serve. So to the consumer, to the unwitting consumer, whoever is standing at the stove has invested uh, four to five minutes. But in truth, it took a whole lot more than that. The process first begins with potatoes, but potatoes need a farm, and a farm needs a farmer, and a farmer needs equipment. Add to this the process and the costs associated with acquiring equipment and maintaining the equipment, and the complexion of a simple bowl of mashed potatoes changes exponentially. It begins to take on an altogether different look to those that are on the other side of the box. Months before the planting season, the farmer is in the field preparing the soil, preparing the equipment, amen, that he's gonna use to prepare the land after the potatoes are even planted. No, it's not time to celebrate now because we've got weeks before it's gonna come to a crop. Amen, it's weeks in, in between and then they're gonna have to harvest those potatoes and take them to a processing company where they will be dried and, and ground into small flakes and they're gonna have to place these flakes in a bag and those bags will be placed in boxes and the boxes will be shipped to the grocer and the grocer will make the product available to the consumer. But when the consumer invests just a few dollars and a few minutes and just a little bit of effort to serve a creamy bowl of potatoes, it gives the illusion that this is all it took. 
I just ran down to the neighborhood grocery store. I dropped a few dimes. I got a bag or a box of instant potatoes. Our family is sitting around and it is the illusion that that's all it took when nothing could be further from the truth. It was months of preparation, thousands of dollars, immeasurable sweat equity that went into the process. And we ask ourselves sometimes, why is this taking so long? can be seated. Page 19. And this was my introduction. So I've I've now arrived at what I'd like to preach on. Can you stay with me? Amen. Maybe I lost a few carnal people right there, but just stay, stay with me a moment. I want you to join me in Isaiah 49 and 2. You don't have to stand. We're not going to do that again. And we won't even ask the ushers to come. But here we go. Isaiah 49 and 2. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand. Would you say his hand? In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me. And made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me it's not fun to be hidden as a child we would often play the game hide and seek pretty straightforward one player closes their eyes for a brief period while the other players run and hide the seeker then opens their eyes and tries to find the hiders and the first one found becomes the next seeker The overall object of this child's game is to be the best person in the crowd at being hidden. You got to think outside the box. You want to be the best hider. That sounds pretty basic. However, as life moves forward, children grow up, and often the premise of this child's game gets lost in day-to-day living and even in our walk with God. While the hope as a child of being hidden was once a cherished skill set, as we become adults and we begin to walk with God, we become more uncertain about hidden times. In our walk with God, there have been times that we felt that we were the arrow that Isaiah refers to in this passage of Scripture. And we are in the quiver of the great archer. It's easy to assume for that unsuspecting arrow that because we are now in the quiver that we're going to be special in the eyes of the archer. It's easy if you will not, if you'll allow me, I'm not going to try to insult your intelligence, but if you'll just allow me today to just animate this this arrow in our mind. It would be easy for this arrow to fantasize about all the things that he's going to be able to participate in. All the great game that he will take down and the meals that he will provide for his master. However, before any of that can take place, the archer knows something critical to the overall process that the arrow doesn't understand. 
he must make sure that the shaft of the arrow that he has chosen for this task is and can remain straight. It can't be straight for a moment. It can't be straight for a little while. It can't be straight at times. It has to remain straight at all times. Any season, any weather, hot, cold, dry, raining, the shaft, if it gets warped, the archer understands it will never hit its intended target. The shaft has been chosen, it has been cut, it has been dried, and now for what Isaiah called the polishing or the sanding process. Amen, it's that polishing. Amen, and this is where it will spend many, many days. It's going to have to get adjusted to life in the quiver. It's going to have to get adjusted to the clamoring and the shaking as the archer walks mile after mile after mile, bouncing from side to side. There is the arrow, the freshly, the newly chosen arrow placed there. Amen, it's going to have to grow accustomed to mile after mile. The arrow will sense perhaps something is going on because he feels the hand of the archer reaching back. Oh, this is my day. He's carefully selecting which one that he will pull, carefully feeling this one and then that one. And finally, and finally, it happens. The arrow feels the warm touch of the, of the archer. He feels his skilled hand reach for it to be sure this is my day, to be sure this is my hour. The dream is coming to pass. The promise is coming to fruition only to realize that he is not on his way to the archer's bow. Today, the intentions are not to connect the string and allow it to lay across the arrow rest. No, today is gonna be more sanding. It's gonna be more polishing. A little more here, a little more there. He's making sure that nothing is going to hinder the trajectory of the arrow. And then, and then without warning, the archer now reaches back and he places the arrow in the quiver again. His dark, dreary quiver. This lonely, tough place. Amen. But you see, he knows one thing. If I am going to be able to trust you in the future to hit the target that I send you after, I am going to have to allow for a season of becoming a season of becoming just because you cut and just because you were dried and just because you were shaped it doesn't mean that you will hold the shape for the job at hand this arrow this fresh arrow smelling like freshly sanded wood placed back alongside here's the tragedy he gets placed back alongside all the other arrows some of those arrows are veterans they've been called on many times from its vantage point the fresh arrow can smell the blood of the other arrows from their victory yesterday's victories but not his their victories They all have stories to tell. I mean, through the night, they're talking to one another. Should have been there today. Oh, man. It's the most incredible thing. There I was. I felt his hand. 
He pulled it back. Oh, man, right. Right in the heart. First shot, down. Oh, I watched him as he dressed the meat. I watched him as he built the fire. I watched her as she began to fix the dinner. And I saw the children as they sat around the table. And there's the old freshly sanded arrow in the corner of the quiver wondering, wow, when's my day coming? I mean, this sounds cool. Hunting stories, war stories, they go on and on. But he has no stories to tell. He doesn't smell like blood. He just smells like freshly sanded and polished wood. Very intimidating process. Amen. The only story is he raises his hand every now and then. Man, you should have been there during that polishing today. Wow, it was, it was really something. You, you should have been there. And uh, yeah, Boy, just when I thought it was over, he changed the grid on the sandpaper. Oh, it was the coolest thing. And you should have been there. And, and you can hear the snicker among the crowd of the other arrows because you see, it's not even a story that'll cast a shadow like their stories of blood and guts. And at times we are much like this arrow. We've watched others seemingly take off and their ministries come to fruition. Their ministries are recognized. They've already arrived. They are already where you long to be. And you read about their war stories on social media and you want to kind of pipe in and say, man, that ain't nothing. I took up the offering Sunday night. I mean, I know, I know that people were getting the Holy Ghost and the dead was being raised and the blinded eyes were open, but I've got to park cars. Oh, you should have been there in that nursing home. We had four people there and two of them stayed awake the whole time. Oh, it was awesome. These situations give birth to legitimate questions like when will my day come? And what will serve as a catalyst to take our ministry or gift to the next level? And when will I be discovered? They're all fair questions. I'm not here to condemn you. Then you think you've passed all the tests according to your clipboard. And the master archer places you back in the quiver. And he hides you again. And we're back at church on Sunday night. And we feel his presence, but there's something woefully wrong. There's something missing. I, I, I don't feel that I'm right in that groove. And it's because you aren't there yet. You're in the process of becoming. But can I tell you that if we could only understand this, the scripture talks about being hidden in his hand and being hidden in his quiver. And so when I tell you that it's silent and we may not know what's going on, rest in this one thing. You are in his hand and you are where he placed you and he knows what you're doing. And then in, we've got to have confidence in the archer. We've got to have confidence in the God that we serve. I hope I'm not just talking about myself, but I hope that I'm speaking something that others can relate to. But oddly enough, at least for me, it's during these seasons that the archer rarely speaks. No brainstorming session where he explains everything that's going on. The archer doesn't sit down and give us a launch date. Nothing. Just polishing. Hiding, polishing, hiding, 
followed by seasons of deafening silence. You see, here's where it comes down. The archer must know what's going on with the shaft of the arrow. Because he gets part of this. The arrowhead, well, that's another story. Often made of flint rock. In short, it is what it is. And it will remain. It is true. It is sure. Once it has been finely honed and shaped, it's, it will retain its shape. And, and, and it will always be the rock from which it was hewn. It won't morph into something else later in life and it won't turn into anything else. It was born flint and it will remain flint. It's there, it's that rock that will just stay. The rock, that's the truth of God's word. Amen, this apostolic message that we read about in the book of Acts, it was the rock of truth that pierced the hearts of the listeners when Simon Peter was preaching in Acts 2. In verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. What pricked their heart? It was the rock solid arrow of truth. Amen. It wasn't Simon Peter's message. It wasn't Simon Peter's idea. But when they heard this, they said, men and brethren, what must we do? We can't leave this meeting until we do something. Amen. That rock, you can trust that rock of truth. It wasn't the vessel. It wasn't the vessel that they were worried about. Or it even wasn't the vessel that God was using to do this. It wasn't because Simon said it. It was what he said. It's the truth of God's word. And it will work. It'll work. It touch the future. It'll work in a in a jailhouse. It'll work in a home Bible study. It's the rock of truth. It is remains the same. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. You can preach about it today, and you can go back to it tomorrow, and it'll be just as powerful. Hallelujah. I have a rich heritage in this apostolic church, and the rock of truth is still today what it has always been. You can trust the rock. It's true. It's steadfast. It's unmovable. So the archer's not worried about the rock. That's the truth of God's word. And then there's the fletchings. This is what will help guide the arrow. This is what will keep it on its trajectory. And if I could liken that to the spirit, the fletchings guide the arrow once it leaves the archer's hand. It keeps the trajectory. So we don't have to worry about the spirit. It's true, it's sure, and it will lead us and guide us. But it's the shaft. It's the vessel, the earthen vessel. We don't have to worry about the word. The word works. The spirit will lead us and guide us and direct us. But it's this earthen vessel. That's what we have to keep taking back to the potter's wheel. That's what we have to keep yielding to the hand of the archer. We have to say more. I, I thought I had it together. The apostle Paul was so transparent about things like this. When I would, I thought I was going to do right and then I didn't. I thought I was going this way and went that way. And I just, sometimes when I'm reading that, I just want to wipe the tears out of my eyes and say, thank you for being honest because there are days I intended to, but I didn't. I wanted to, but I, somehow I just got to chasing something else. Amen. I got to worry about this flesh. Amen. So it's in that day I say, Lord, I know I've been, it's been revealed to me. A little more polishing, a little more sanding, a little more work. I need the vessel to be right. I need the vessel to be right. 
Amen. It's the shaft. That wood fiber has a tendency to warp. We have a tendency to get bent out of shape if things don't go our way. We have a tendency to get warped when somebody else is being used more than we. And Oh, we have a tendency to, the, the shaft to tweak and twist and we watch something happening in the life of somebody else and we want to try to criticize what they're doing and condemn what they're doing because it makes us feel better about what we're not doing. But what we don't realize is that really God has us in a season of silence because it's a transition. He's just trying to take us to the next level and we can't get disillusioned because if the shaft bends, it won't matter how sharp or true the arrowhead. If the shaft bends, it won't matter how set the fletchings are. If the shaft bends the arrow will never hit its intended target and so the Lord knows what he's doing he polishes and he hides he polishes and he hides but we're in his hand we're in his hand hallelujah the process the process then leaves us with a few questions to answer and so I ask you this today can you be hidden and not get warped can you ride alongside somebody else who has great stories to tell and not get disillusioned because your time has not yet come amen can you rejoice with somebody else that's being blessed when your season of blessing hasn't arrived yet. Can you watch God mightily use your friends and your peers? Can you praise with them? Can you lift them up? Can you wish them the very best just because your season has not come? Can you survive your season of being hidden? Ha, 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 ha. Let's entertain the presence of the Lord here. We need to step in. God is doing something right now. Amen. The spirit of the Lord is doing something right now in this house. Oh, help me today, God. Help me today, God. Oh, shit, I'm going to go to the house.